talking about a couple things the last week or so. I've been talking about uh, forgiveness. I've uh, been talking about healing. And we've talked about what? We have the authority to forgive, don't we? And remember that? Went over the scriptures there, and I won't have the scriptures today because my, well, maybe I will. But we have the authority to forgive. God has given us authority to man to heal. Showed you a couple different scriptures on that. It's not a, I think, it's a, it's a for sure thing. And we have, with that, along with the authority to forgive, the obligation to forgive as well. And why do we have that obligation? Because we choose which kingdom we're going to walk out. Like Sibby said in her, uh, in her word today, you know, we have to understand and believe. And I like to change the words on that a lot of times because we think a certain way. We think about, okay, we're, 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 you know, proclaiming something. Yeah, we are. We're saying something and walking forward something. But what we're doing is literally walking out the kingdom the way God showed us to do. We have a choice of two different kingdoms. If we walk and operate from the kingdom of light, we will receive the blessing, the rule and reign of the kingdom of light. If we walk out from the things of darkness, we will have the blessing of the kingdom of darkness. One or two. We said a kingdom means a ruler and a set of rules with certain authorities and blessings that go along with it. The kingdom of darkness has its ruler and it has its reign. And you live by those rules if you're in that kingdom. The kingdom of light has its rules and its reign. You live by that. You do not mix the two. You cannot walk with both of them in mind. You have to choose one or the other. One of them brings life and one doesn't. Now, I want to look at some scriptures that we've looked at in the past, uh, that you've read, that you've been real familiar with. And as I've developed this over a period of time, this, this mentality of understanding that they, we are two separate kingdoms, and they really do have rules and reign to them. And the kingdoms are how you see things, if I could say it that way. Uh, the, the main kingdom that we always see is this world's kingdom, you know. But we, we've said before that the kingdom of God is greater than the kingdom of what we see. We don't really think that way half the time because the world tells us, no, it's not reality unless you can see it or touch it or smell it. But in truth, reality is what God said, isn't it? We know that all heaven and earth is based upon what God said. Everything exists from God's word. So heaven and earth is based upon God's word. And the scripture says this, heaven, everything will be rolled away, but God's word won't. It's there. It's permanent. So the true reality is God and what he says, not the things we say. But we've been trained in life to see, look at the things we see and think that's the realm that we live in. And we have the choice to do that as well. You've got to remember not to walk in front of there. Uh, we have the choice to do that. But we also have the choice, as Sibby gave a word of, is to believe what God has said and has promised us and begin to walk those things out. Begin to cultivate that reality in our mind and our hearts. And if we can cultivate that reality, we'll see that rule and reign in our life. If we don't cultivate that reality, we'll see some other reign in our life. Now, I know if you've been around as long as I have, you've seen so many of the scriptures, you've read them so long, they become kind of, you don't get the taste of them. And I'm trying to give us the taste of really what that means, that God is really serious about walking those out. Now, we also find that, that when we're in the kingdom of God, we have a lot of people that have been wounded, that have not been forgiven, that have been hurt. 
And we said last week that what happens very often is we go out and shoot our own wounded, don't we? What we do is we pull out an arrow of an accusation against somebody, uh, 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 anger at somebody. We'll pull out another arrow and shoot them with a judgment or uh, uh, a lack of mercy, all the different things. But what we said about that is when we pull out those arrows, those are the weapons of the kingdom of darkness. And when we're doing that, even though we're Christians, we are operating on the kingdom of darkness and we are we're expanding his kingdom because we're killing our own people. We really are. And that's one of the things that we find in the church. It's become extremely highly judgmental. We think about, oh, that's sin. Therefore, we come up with it. I can't ever do that. We shouldn't sin. I'm not saying we should. But we can't go there with judgment. We can't come there with condemnation. We can't come there with legalism to what things are. All those things are, are weapons of the enemy. The enemy's a legalist. He is. From the very beginning, he's a legalist. He used rules of reign. He condemns. He tries to bring judgment. Those are all condemnation things that come from the enemy. We have to learn that when we're doing, even though we're Christians, if we're operating on those things, we're operating out of that dialect, if we're bringing out those things out of our little treasure chest to put towards someone, we're operating from the kingdom of darkness. And we've learned that it's not the people that we should be upset with. It's what the realm that's over them. And Christians, as well as everyone else, the spirit realm affects them. And the spirit realm, if you're ended up being influenced by the reign of the enemy, then you're going to have all the following benefits of the enemy. And that means you will not see the kingdom. You will not see the abundant life. You may have all kinds of money. You may have all kinds of things, but your life will not be characterized by love, peace, and joy. Why? Because you can have everything, but if you don't have the kingdom, you aren't going to have that. Because that's one of, the, that's one of the, the benefits of the kingdom of God. And on the other hand, if things are going really, really hard, you can still have that. That's why I said praise God in all things. Well, it doesn't mean you're supposed to praise God because you had a rotten day. It means that God has put a heart in you and a kingdom in you that is not affected by the world so much. So that you're able to praise God because the kingdom of God is within you and you're looking from that point of view. And you're looking at the different things that happen to you and the different trials you have for a purpose ahead. Let me go to the first slide here, uh, and that's going to be Romans 8, 5 through 8. Nice. Oh, I like it. I don't care. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, watch. Can you read that, Romans 8, 5, 8? Do we have that, that, that thing working now again? Do you have a Bible? Okay. Oh, hey. There we go. Sixth slide. Okay. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. Now, we hear this all the time. We've, we've read this and know the scripture very well. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what their nature desires. If, if we think that and break that down a different way and look at it from this, uh, the mind is set by, is ruled by the wrong kingdoms comes forth. If the right kingdom in its life is there, then it brings forth something. What it is, is 
It's like a train and a caboose. What leads it, what drives you in how you look at things will be what comes with you. And God's kingdom, you know, we think of natural laws, and we, we see sowing and reaping is one of them, but there's a lot of different natural laws sown in Genesis 1. And there are laws that are permanent that are set into being. They, 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 they aren't changed. This is one of those things. The kingdom is one of those things. We don't really recognize it in Genesis 1, but we do later. Genesis is like the, a seed. When a seed is, you can't see all the attributes of what it's going to grow up to be, but it contains all the attributes. In there is hidden this thing here, and that is that if you live and have your mind set on certain things, what, what are those certain things that you have set on? Uh, if, if they're, and we're usually thinking of just the things of like, well, I want this and I want that. But also if our mind's set on the things of judging and, uh, and condemning and categorizing, categorizing people, it's going to have the same type of reap to it. It's going to, you're going to, you sow in that field, you're going to reap in that field. What comes with that is, is, a, is the wrong kingdom. Go to Galatians 5, 16 through 26. So I say live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not know what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Okay, now Galatians and Romans, were, we, we went through uh, Romans quite a bit, not all the way through. We will get through there. But they're both things. And, and the actually context of this is, is dealing with the law. But it is the same thing. Uh, read, go on to 19 and 22. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunk, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Okay, I think it, I think it makes it clear. Those are the two, the two different kingdoms and their attributes, what they come out of them. The point that I want to make by it is if you operate in any one of those things, you end up operating in the other. You end up, it's just like a little bit of yeast works all the way through to the whole batch of dough rises. Is once you enter in something like that, it has a sister fruits. It has cousin fruits. It has different things that come along with it. And you can't expect when you head in on one particular area to keep that area isolated. What happens is it's, that will particularly ruin you. It'll, if, you're, if you go into idolatry, what is idolatry? Everybody thinks about idolatry as, as uh, something from the Old Testament. Idolatry is having anything other than God before you. It's having the idea of yourself as God. It has the idea that whatever you want is idolatry. The things that are on your heart is what idolatry is. It can end up being gold and all the other things as well, but it's basically you on the throne. When you're on the throne and everything is according to you, you begin to look at other people and judge people otherwise. 
And what you do, as we've said before, is you lock people in their place. And you lock yourself in it. When we make a judgment on someone, and the reason I'm hitting this so hard is this is the easiest thing for all of us to do. We make a judgment on something, and when we do, we condemn ourselves. But when we pray for the sick, and the reason I'm talking about it so much is people are stuck in this. They're stuck in, they're stuck in that place of uh, judgment and fear and unforgiveness. They don't forgive themselves because, you know, not only do you forgive others, you have to forgive yourself. It, it, it goes all the way. If you can't forgive yourself, then as the scriptures say, <laughs> you aren't forgiven. The scriptures are very clear. Though you forgive, will be forgiven. Those who don't forgive won't be forgiven. People have been hurt by these different things. And when they operate in those things, and even though they don't know they're operating, they're stuck in them. So when we pray for the sick, what we have to do is very often break those things off. Praying for the sick is a form of warfare. It's probably the best training grounds for warfare that I can think of. You know, we are all, if we're a Christian, we're in his army. Some of us were drafted, some of us enlisted, but we're in. Then once we're in this thing, we have a choice to do. Some people, when they get find out they sign up for something, they go out and have a party and they celebrate it. Others get ready and get prepared for what's before us. We have a battle before us that we have to be prepared for. And to be able to win that battle, you win it by working in your own kingdom, not by working for the enemy. And so when we pray for people, we have to bring them out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We cannot have them stuck in there. So, okay, I want to go to the next scripture here. Uh, the next one, I'm, I'm going to skip over that one. It basically really reinforces that we, whatever kingdom we walk in is the dominion we're establishing. Just as, as we walk in one of those two kingdoms, we're operating by one of those two kingdoms that has a fruit of those two kingdoms in our life and in others. But also we're proclaiming things. We're, our call is to take dominion. Our call is to become overcomers. Our call is to uh, do warfare for the kingdom of light. Go to Revelation 17.4. That's two slides down. These ten all have the same purpose, and they give their power and authority to the beast. They will fight against the lamb, but the lamb, together with his called, chosen, and faithful followers, will defeat them, because he is Lord of lords and King of kings. Okay, Book of Revelation. You know, the, this is talking about the end times uh, uh, and the great battle towards the end. And it says the, that they will give all their power over to the great beast. And they will fight against the Lamb. But the Lamb, together with his called, chosen, and faithful followers, will defeat them. Because he is Lord of lords and King of kings. We forget this part here, this word here, together with his chosen and faithful followers. We've came to a mentality that we're going to be around and God's going to come and fix it. And so, therefore, we've joined an army, and we haven't really got prepared for that army because we think that somebody else is going to fight the battle so we can be off partying. But that's not the truth, is it? The truth is, together, that means no pre-trip, guys. I hate to tell you that word right there. It means that you don't get pulled out before. And we know that's not the nature of God. God has never taken us out of a battle. He's always prepared us to go through things. 
it would be nice if there was a pre-trib when we were taken out and some of us will die beforehand and get out of that way. But everything about God, <laughs> everything about God is to grow us up. We have trials and tribulations. Why? That we become who we're called to be. They're preparation for the battle at hand. I believe some of, when Jesus was on earth, he walked around healing the sick and demonstrating the kingdom that his kingdom was greater than the kingdom of that sickness of this world and everything else. It was a demonstration. For us, as an example, we learned that as an exercise to be able to develop our authority and our calling in our life. We would like it not to be this way. We would like it to be that God would come and fix it all in the end. But in my 30-something years in the Lord, I've never found it that way. I found it that he will strengthen me, give me the things I need to do the work that I need, become who I'm called to be. I'm called to be a man of God, and so are you guys. Each one of you are. And it will not happen by you sitting, and not happen by one day God just going to a conference and pouring his blessing out on you and you're all of a sudden ready for war. It doesn't work that way. I've never seen it work that way. I've never seen it in anybody's life work that way. I've seen it by, by trials and tribulations growing too. Why? Because we have a battle. The earth was given to us. We handed it over to the enemy. God came by, paid the price for us to get it back. But you know what? We gave it away. We're going to have to get it back. With his power, with his authority, Yes. But nevertheless, it's going to be with our battles, our wars that we have to do. You know, the scripture that comes uh, a lot of time, and we don't pay a lot of attention to the scripture. We don't like it. It says, uh, it says we have to pick up our cross daily and, and bear it. Uh, this one I don't particularly like, but I'm going to... Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for, for mine will find it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? What can a man give in exchange for his own soul? And in Luke 14, uh, 26, if anyone comes after me and does not hate his father, his mother, his wife, his children, his brothers, his sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Anyone does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. What does that mean? What is the cross? The cross is the trials and tribulations that we have to go through. church doesn't tell you that anymore. The church says that everything's going to be fine. God's going to bless you. You give this particular tithe, and God's going to give you a whole bunch more money. He may. They, they, they think that this positive thought pattern of, you know, everything's going to be okay is going to be proclaiming the kingdom. God called the people that would know him and walk according to his purpose to be able to have the authority to break the work of the enemy. That's what he called. He is looking for people that are willing to pay the price. And he says we are not worthy to be his disciples if we're not willing to pay the price. I'm going to say that again. He says to you, if you're not willing to pay the price, you're not willing to be one of his disciples. It is not a lay-down easy thing. It's, it, it's, it's a hard battle that we come into. The world says that if you have trials and problems, you must not be doing something right. And that's the world's wisdom. But it's not the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God is totally different from the wisdom of this world. 
Wisdom of this world is God is more concerned with who you are to become and to take this world. I, you know, God can come and do it himself, but he sets up rules and he sticks by his own rules, if you haven't noticed. You know, he, he does. He, he decided that he would give something to us and he isn't an Indian giver. He doesn't take it back. He doesn't do that type of thing. He causes us to do what we're called to do. We gave it up, you go get it back. That's what he raises us up to do. And that's what we have to do. And we do that when we pray for the sick. We see the people, the damage has been done from the original fall. And we see that, and we have to go in there and redeem with him. We redeem them from the works of the enemy. You know, the kingdom is here and yet to come. So what happens is the truth is now, but we have to, as Sibby talked about earlier, we have to walk out what he's given us to do it. And walking out what he's given us to do is a, a process of really beginning to believe what he said. It says the size of a mustard seed, you can tell a mountain or tell a tree to go jump in the water. It can. I don't know how to do that. My faith's not at that level. But you see, with the different trials, as we learn to go through those different things and come through the other end of it, we are strengthened by each one of those trials, and we become more like him. We also have now seen him work in us. We have developed a faith in us that we didn't have before. We begin to believe the truth that his kingdom is greater than this and this world's kingdom. Step by step as we learn to do that, we gain in authority and dominion. See, we're, we're called to go take dominion over this earth. That's the call in our life. The first call is on our own life. That means you have your life personally together, have your finances in line, have your home in line, have your children in line, all those things in line. Then it comes in to a surrounding bigger family, bigger influence, and you begin to grow those interests. The way you run to people and pray for them, expand it even more. And then there's a place, like I've said to you before, there are spiritual realms. There are principalities that we have authority over them. Yeah, those things we're called to do. Those things are not easy, and they're very costly. It says it's costly, doesn't it? Does your Bible say it's costly? Mine does. Mine says it comes with a high cost. But he says, you know, you haven't yet had to have your bloodshed on the cross, but we have to persevere to be able to pull through. Now, I talked to you a few weeks ago about dealing with walls in people's lives and how you help them take down the walls in their lives. Now I want to talk a little bit about walls that we have to have. Since we're in battle... And since, remember, I said the original battle was we were in the kingdom of God, and how war works is, is you take somebody out of their protection, bring them into the opening, cut off their supply and demand, and destroy them. That's how the enemy did it to us. Pulled us out of the place where we're open, out of, his, out of God's kingdom, attacked us, and won. And so we obviously have to, uh, uh, we've been having to, have the kingdom given to us, and we say, yes, the Lord, we'll walk into that, and we have that in our heart, uh, and we have to begin to walk in that dominion all the way out. Well, so how do you have the walls back around? How do you get back in that place where you truly believe? You truly believe because the trials happen, you make it through the trials, and you grow. But how do you keep the protection? Now, I'm going to start off, and I'm going to have Josh share just real quickly, because of his uh, Jewish background and his training, about some of the festivals. Because that's one of the first things. All the festivals uh, and uh, different uh, things that happened in the Old Testament were for a purpose, and they were called to remember them 
And for a reason, they were called the remembrance. So go ahead, Josh. Okay. Grab that mic there. I always talk like this with a hand mic. Okay, so this is a new step, me speaking. Um, I'm a little nervous, so bear with me. Um, Nikki Hevesy showed up for this, so thanks. Um, all right, so last week, Gary, at the end of uh, uh, talking, Gary asked me to say a few words about uh, symbolism, um, the Jewish festivals, and um, and how it would relate uh, to faith. And that's and all seven festivals uh, would be a lot more, inf- and their symbolism would be probably a lot more information than be given over in uh, ten minutes, which that's how much I have to give it over. So I developed a few ideas, and um, hopefully, with God's help, I can do a half decent job at uh, sharing it. Okay, so the first idea comes from um, Leviticus chapter 23, and if you have Bibles, you can open up to that, and if not, that's fine too. I'll just read it. Okay, this is where God uh, gives the commandment about the, um, the festivals. It's uh, 23, verse 1 reads, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, and say to them, The feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feasts. Then it goes on to talk about the Sabbath midstream. It goes, Six days shall work be done. But the seventh day is the Sabbath day of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work on it. It's the Sab- it is a Sabbath for the Lord in all of your dwellings. And then it goes on to the Passover. These are the feasts of the Lord, the holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. On the 14th day of the first month, at twilight, is the Lord's Passover. So it's something, notice something interesting here. It, it kind of goes out of sequence. It says, these are the festivals of the Lord. And then midstream, it goes off on a tangent and talks about Sabbath. It's like if I were to say, um, here's a list of things that I'd like you to get me from the marketplace. Oh, by the way, last week I had a great steak dinner. Um, uh, get me uh, some potatoes, romaine lettuce, oil, vinegar, butter, seasoning, etc. Now, why did I have to tell you that I had a great steak dinner last week? It seems like it's non sequitur. So... Um, when you understand what the Sabbath is in the greater Messianic context, you'll realize that um, the Sabbath has everything to do with the festivals. In fact, in a certain sense, it can be said that the festivals revolve around the Sabbath. In three gospel accounts, it talks about, it refers to the Lord Jesus being the Lord of the Sabbath. Um, and also, um, we, we read in Hebrews chapter 4, um, it's explained entering into his rest or entering into the Sabbath is a picture of um, entering into the messianic reality, into um, the, the creation story, six days of rest, six days of work, and the seventh day he rested. So um, when we understand what Sabbath is in its greater messianic meaning, we understand that really it's like the axis around which all the festivals revolve. So, we see, so that's exactly why I told you that I had a great steak dinner last week. Because I want to give you a picture of the type of food ingredients that you should buy that would go into a great steak dinner. So it's like, um, be looking out for that seasoning. Be looking out for that lettuce, baked potato, etc. Because I'm, I'm, I'm equating that great you know, steak dinner that I had. So really, that's, says, these are the festivals of God. Oh, but don't forget. Let's not forget the Sabbath. What the festivals are really all about. 
So then uh, it goes on to the first uh, festival, which is Passover. Appropriately, we're really close. And this, I got a little help from uh, Nikki uh, preparing just, uh, a couple central ideas. Um, the Passover is the story of, of God's redemption of, of Israel from uh, slavery in Egypt. And the symbolic correlation to that is um, Christ's redemption of humanity from the slavery to sin. E- Egypt is like that sinful reality, and it's, it came forth in, in, uh, um, in uh, the redemption um, of, of humanity from sin. And, um, and then, uh, let's see, so we'll just jump to uh, Matthew 26, where he talks about the, uh, I mean, we read it, I think, last week, when it came to uh, communion. 26, I think it's verse 26, if I remember correctly. Um, I'll just read it for you real quick. Um, let's see. And they were eating, and Jesus took bread and blessed and broke it and gave to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks, and he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood, the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Um, so these words were said at a Passover Seder. Um, this is when the Jews would traditionally eat the Passover lamb, which symbolically is the lamb of God, um, that Jews would eat it all the time. They wouldn't even know what it was about, but and they still do. They don't know what's going on, but though that small remnant of Jews... Um, uh, that are entered into uh, his rest um, know what it is, and that that's so. So he was talking about his body that was given for the remission of sins, and uh, so that's the symbolism there. And um, and of course, the central theme uh, from Exodus 12, I think, has to do with the um, the blood that would go on the doorpost. Um, that uh, the, the plague of the firstborn um, was going to Exodus 12, right? I think. Um, 12, uh, 13. Uh, now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And that's where we get Passover from. Um, and the plague shall not be on you and destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So the symbolic correlation uh, is um, whoever has the blood of Christ on them will be spared from destruction. Um and is, uh, and is saved. Um, so that was a symbolism there. And the third idea, I, came, um, I actually talked with Tom Schwabe when we were talking. Tom is into the, uh, the Hebrew uh, words and their meanings and their different connotations. And there's a Hebrew word uh, that refers to a special type of meditation, a type of meditation where it's circular, repetitive, and it goes deeper and deeper and deeper until it like go, gets ingrained into the synapses of your mind, like really, really deep. It's called Hagah. Hey, Gimel, hey, Hagah. Um, and there's other d- types of meditation where you, go, you, you reference many things at once, but this is not that. This is, um, there's Siach, there's Hagah. This is Hagah where you go over and over again, the same thing, and it deepens. Um, and it's interesting, a very similar Hebrew word is um, Chag, which means festival. So when you'll say um, to someone, like in Israel, you'll say like Chag Sameach, which means um, like happy, whatever holiday it is. Um, it's very similar with just the change of the first letter. Um, it's Hagah. It comes around and around. There are patterns. keeps on happening. And the Chagim, the festivals, are um, they're pat- they're pat- I don't know, paternal or pa- 
patternized or whatever you want to call it. You get the idea. Cyclical, yeah, and, um, and they keep coming around every year. So um, I think this idea, I would tie into what Gary was asking me to say, how does it tie into faith? Okay, since the festival's inception, I don't know, somewhat 3,500 years ago, 4,000 years ago when it started, it's been the same time every year. It's cyclic. So that can strengthen our faith when we see that every year, the same time, it comes around and around. So, and then we were kind of discussing it, and it came up with the idea that, uh, that Haggah, the Chag, is a form of meditation of the collective Jewish people. Like, they don't know that it's around Messiah. But every year, they're getting the same festivals. Every year, Passover. Every year, First Fruits. Every year, Tabernacles. Um, and it's coming around and around and around until the end time of Messiah. This is like a form of cyclic meditation, and this should definitely strengthen our faith. My back on, yeah, there we go. Yeah, and there's something else with that that doesn't quite meet the eye as, as quickly, and that's the idea that when you begin to think that way and meditate that way, you begin to establish something. It's first established in your mind before it's established in what you do. You know, it's also interesting to me, you know, the, you know, uh, the idea of the Sabbath rest, the idea of Hebrews that, you know, when you hear his voice, and it was calling to the people to hear God, when they heard him, they were called out of slavery, and, and under the blood uh, and, and into the promise. This war that we have that's going to come our way, unfortunately, we're going to have to hear God. You know, We're going to have to come out, because that's one thing that says in Revelation, come out from that, come out from this crooked, uh, uh, deprived uh, uh, system into the kingdom. Because for us to establish, and then when they went into the promised land, they established a work step by step when they went in. You know, when God gave them the promise, God uh, and Canaan, he promised them something. He gave it to them, but he required them to take it. If you, if you remember reading there, every step they had to do. The, the giants were big. The giants are big. The giants are big in the book of Revelation. But God is greater. You have to believe who God is. Have that thing set in your mind that you walk out. Now, why did they do the festivals? They did the festivals because they wanted to a man to remember what he had done for him of the delivery and to proclaim what he's going to do in the future. That's why it's there. It's, it's a proclamation of it. Now, if we're going to have a wall of protection around, we have to remember certain things. We have to remember the festivals, what was done for. We have to remember what God's done for us. I'll look into, uh, let's go to... Um, when it says remember there, uh, it's Deuteronomy 5, 15. You have that? Deuteronomy 5, 15. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Okay. Remember. It's not just a thrown word in there. He actually literally wants you to bring it to remember. He wants you to recite those things. In the Hebrew custom, they recited these these things, to put it in their mind. They wanted this to be very, very clear. Remember this. Next one. These nations are more numerous than, than I. How can I dispossess them? You must not fear them. You must carefully recall what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and all Egypt, the great judgments you saw, the signs and wonders, the strength and power by which he brought you out. Thus the Lord your God will do to all the people you fear. 
kingdom. There is it again. Remember that it, what he's done. Remember that your God is greater than the kingdom of darkness. Remember these things. Recall those things. Bring those things to be. This is your wall of protection. Because remember I said that, that, that the, the currency of the kingdom uh, of fear, of darkness, is fear. And the currency of the kingdom of light is faith. And if you operate in fear all the time, then, then you will not operate in faith. You will be operating in the wrong kingdom. So he's trying in here to cause them to remember what God has done. That to remember not to operate in fear, which would have that kingdom's power to it, but operate in faith. Because it only it takes faith to be able to bring those things out. The next one. You know what the Lord did for you in the desert before you arrived here? <clears throat> you recall what he did to Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab of the tribe of Reuben. In the sight of everyone, the earth opened up and swallowed them, along with their families, their tents, and all their servants and animals. Yes, you are the ones who have seen all these great things that the Lord has done. How many things have you guys seen that the Lord's done that you can remember? Have you really ever thought about really trying to bring those things up and remember them? Because when you do, your faith will build. I said to you when we pray for the sick, we, uh, I used to listen to Wimber all the time. He'd always tell stories. And at first I wondered why. But I learned very often afterwards that he was developing a climate of faith. He was recalling like this what had happened, what God had done, so they would operate and think in faith. Oh, yeah, God has done this. Be excited what God has done. God calls you to remember these things so that you will be able to go over and take the land. Go to the next slide. Recall the miraculous deeds he performed, his mighty acts, and the judgments he decreed. But then our ancestors behaved presumptuously. They rebelled and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and did not recall your miracles that you had performed among them. Instead, they rebelled and appointed a leader to return to their bondage in Egypt. You remember what happened with that? You know, it's, it's been too long. Things have not worked out the way you said they were. You let us out in the desert to die. That was the one the earlier scripture, too, where they got swallowed up in the land. They rebelled against their leader because they did not see what they wanted to see. They chose to see with these eyes rather than what God had said. They chose to rely on, on what their experience was versus what God's promise was. What is the reality? The promise not what you see. And he called that what? Rebellion. 1 Thessalonians 1.3 We continually recall before God our Father the things you have done because of your faith and the work you have done because of your love. If we're to become who we're called to be, if we're to be able to live in a kingdom that is contrary to the kingdom we see, if we're to be able to walk out in the power and authority God has rather than the fear and defeat that the enemy has, we have to begin to believe those things. You know, when the reports came out about the promised land, there was two with a good report and all the rest with bad. They chose to listen to one thing. They chose to listen to their fears and disbelief. You see, faith is the ability to be able to choose what you look at. There will always be both choices. There's not going to be, oh, this is just it. That's not faith. You know, you've already received it, the scripture says. Faith is be able to see these two things, and, and one may be this size, and the other may be this size, and see this size, because it's what God said. That's what faith is. Faith is the ability to hear that. Go ahead. Oh, oh. I mean, we usually have a lot of interaction. I just somehow didn't do it here today. But uh, 
But faith is the ability to see what God said. You know, to be able to remember. Or as in Hebrew it says, today when you hear my voice, don't harden your heart as you did in the desert. What do you mean? They hardened their heart. They chose not to believe. That's hardening of the heart. Go ahead. Um, you know, like, I, I think that sometimes prophetic people, the Lord always sends them words, mm-hmm. and what they see is completely the opposite from the word, and then you have to stand to remember the prophecy and say, Lord, I don't know how you're going to do it, but I believe in you, and I'm just going to meditate on the promises that you gave me, that this is going to somehow be completely different from what I'm seeing. That's right. That's why I call the a walk in the spirit. It says walk in the spirit, and not by sight. And that's the idea of seeing, choosing to see what God has said He's going to do, or what God is doing, and walking that out as a reality. Okay. You know, I think when you're talking about Joshua and Caleb and uh, the twelve spies going to the land, it's interesting because when I was reading that passage, they actually. The ones that were afraid, they came back with the report of how great it was. There's grapes, there's wine, there's a land flowing with milk and honey, but we can't have it because there's giants in the land. So it wasn't even like it's a bad place. It's like it's amazing, but then it was fear that kept them from walking into it. Exactly right. It's the fear. And they, the, the Joshua was able to see what God had promised, but God said this. Now, I'm the same with David when he fought Goliath. He was able to believe what God said and has done rather than not what he saw. If we have power, we always have to face giants. If we're not going to have power, we'll never face them. No power, no sin. You'll always be the same. You never grow. You never, you never really take the risk. Yeah, you know, and if you worry what people think, you'll fail. The truth is, faith is listening to God and doing what he says, regardless of the cost to you. That's faith. I mean, that's the faith that we saw with Abraham. When he left a place, everything he knew and all the things of comfort and all the things he understood and family to go to a place that God said, I'll show you somewhere. Not, I'm going to give you this. I'm going to show you. And yet he went to that place and just saw it and just visited it. He didn't ever possess it. It was for his, for his ancestors. And you've got to think about him. I've said it before to you that, that you know, here he is, a father, and did have no children. Then, there was, then God had him change his name to father of many, <laughs> and he had one kid. I mean, you, you think you felt like a laughingstock. I mean, do you think they didn't make fun of him or Noah? They didn't make fun of him? No, because they, 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 those people were able to see, and that voice was the loudest voice they heard. And that loudest voice they heard was God because they chose to. So faith is based upon choice. You know, saying, as I said to you, faith uh, uh, is, is the most powerful thing. It's the, it's the currency of the kingdom of God. You have to function by it. And to function by it, you cannot walk by this. You cannot walk by what you see. Go ahead, Tom. Yes. Yeah. 
the more we let it drift away, there's a, a, a layer of thickness in it within our heart. And then if that happens, we, we don't do it anymore. And then Paul wrote something real interesting. That's a great scripture, by the way, for what I'm saying. Yeah, he said, um, I'm not, he said, it's no big problem for me to write to you the same things again. But then he said, and it's a safeguard. So there's something about a safety in hearing the same thing, bringing it back to remembrance. Because uh, I, I saw that phrase, that statement, he says, it's a safeguard. If I wait, I mean, I'm writing to you the same thing again, but it's, it's a safeguard for you because you gird up your, your, your loins, if you will, your, your, and it's also an amazing thing how people can't hear. I say a lot of things over and over again, and people think because they heard it that they got it. It's, if it's not in your life, you didn't get it. Plain and simple. If that is not reflected in your life, you didn't understand it. I don't care how much you heard it. I don't care if you can memorize it for me. Unless it's signed up in your life, you, you don't own it. You know. And it's the thing about owning it. It always cracks up me. Some stuff that I've taught from the very beginning. I'll have somebody, even Tom did one this on the other day. Oh, this is a great revelation about something that... Uh, uh, you know, and I think I must have told you that 15 times. <laughs> you know, and I hear it all the time. Because it's not the same way with me. It's not. It's, it's, it's not him. It's that we have to hear it a lot of different times, and sometime, somewhere along the line, it grabs in our heart. God breathes in it anew, and we we see it. We may have heard that same thing 15 different ways. Even one of the ways sometimes just hits us and and it causes it. Yeah. Somebody could be speaking over your life like, oh, you're dumb, or oh, you're ugly, or, and they say it and say it, and you're just like, oh, that's not true, that's not true, that's not true. That usually is heard and quicker, then one though. one time, it only takes one time for you to put it in your heart to believe it, for it to start building destruction in your life. That's a very good point. What about that? Have you, have you thought about what you just said? And that's talking about making a nest for something. That, that, that's talking about allowing something to take root in your heart. So we have to, uh, and the repeating of the things is causing those things to take root in the heart. That's why it says it over and over again. That's why to recall it over and over again. Because those are supposed to take root in the heart. That we're supposed to meditate.